approximately three months ago, actually it was a little bit longer, I think right before Christmas, I had that come to Jesus moment after 30 years of doing what I felt was in the perfect will of the Lord. You see, you need to know that there is a, um, a perfect will and there's a permissive will, and many of you know that, so, but I, I, I used to be a coach and I was involved in wrestling and football in my younger age, I was 50 years ago, but uh, you know, 71, we still can dream and remember those things, you know, but uh, thank you. But uh, um, I was very big on fundamentals. And I really didn't have a, a lot of plays in our playbook. You know, we had three or four to the right and three or four to the left and a couple pass plays and what have you. But I felt if we could block better, tackle better, run faster, be in better condition, we could beat anybody. And um, so it is in the faith. I believe very much on fundamentals. And I believe that, uh, not willingly, but we have somehow... Um, swayed away from the fundamentals that have been stood 2,000 years of time. Right before Christmas, I began having a Skype meeting with a couple people in Pakistan. And they were hungry and they were saying, Pastor, please disciple me. They had seen some teachings that we had posted on YouTube or Facebook. And those uh, discipling sessions on Skype then drew more people. And what happened was, was that in that process, God began to breathe upon a work. What I learned, and, and, and it was my son, actually my son Theo said, Dad, he said, you need to come to know the Father's love for you. And rest at your age. And what's going to happen is going to be, be beyond our, our, our understanding. And, and Michael, whom a lot of you see and follow in the Jesus image and so on, he said, Dad, there's a difference between God's mercy and God's grace. God's mercy has been on you for many years, but it hasn't been his grace. In other words, you have... You have taught and you've traveled much and you've preached and you've prayed for the sick and many have been healed and, and that's God's mercy on you but more upon the beneficiaries of those that you address. But when you have the grace of God breathing upon your life and what it is you're doing, then it's just you resting and these rivers of living water will begin to flow and take you that swell up from within you and will take you and, 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 and your eyes cannot see, your, your mind can't conceive the plan that the Lord has. I said, Lord, is this where you want me? In my home with a computer? For you see, about four years ago, I... I was taken up in a vision, and in that vision, I knew I was suspended in the heavens, and as I looked down, I saw the earth, and I could see all the continents of the earth. Suddenly, from behind me is a massive cross that I know is coming from heaven, 
and it's shooting directly from heaven and being thrust deep into the very center of the top of the earth. And off of that cross was flowing the blood of the Lord. And the blood was flowing on upon every continent, every nation. And I asked God, what is it you're showing me here, Lord? I don't understand this. And he spoke not to me. And so I continued seeking him, wanting desperately to, so I could understand what it is that he was revealing to me. And the Lord spoke to me again as I had the same vision again. And he said to me by my, in my heart that there would be one million Jesus centers across the world. And I said, Lord, I don't understand. How can this be? How can I plant a million Jesus centers? And then that was it. He did not speak again to me. I continued to pursue him. I truly hungered and thirst to know his perfect will for my life. And then later he reveals in my heart that there would be not only physical Jesus centers, but there would be one million hearts who become centers for Jesus. Today, my heart is that each of you on this day would truly become a center for Jesus in your heart. To this day, what has transpired since Christmas? Massive Skype meetings using large screens, theater-sized screens, and plugging into Skype, the, the computer. We are ministering to hundreds and then to thousands, whereas today, by God's grace, by God's grace and His love, we are, we are discipling between Kenya, India, Pakistan, and the Philippines in excess of 100,000 people a month. Now, it's impossible, but not for Jesus. I share that with you because I was telling people Stephen, on the way over here, and I didn't want it to be self-serving, but I'm truly sensing the Father's love. Not only that I might know the Father's love, that I might also, re that I might also be a dispenser of the love of the Father. As a father. Not only naturally to our sons. And, and so God is doing this. You don't seek these things. If, God will give to the church the apostle. God will give to the church the prophetic. He will give those things. So he was, he was right by the Lord. He was affirmed that there were things that I did not understand. We've taken another turn. He's correct. God is not bound down by time. It's begun. It's happening right now. And this man spoke from the oracles of the Lord's heart himself. So I wanted you to know that. Many of you, listen closely, many of you know you're called. If you study the Word of God and Mark and the other Gospels, Jesus' methodology is extremely simple. And I was sharing with Stephen that, that I know that Bill Johnson always says that Jesus must be your perfect theology. He's so right. He is our perfect theology. And so when God calls you, the, the Word of God declares that He summons you to Himself so that you might be with Him and then he sends you out. Please, don't 
don't neglect the being with him. We are rushing to the revelation of the exercise, the manifestation of the anointing upon our lives, but we're missing it because we're not with him. Yes, it's true that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, but we're missing it. There's a deeper place. It's wonderful to dance and it's wonderful to shout, my God, I got, I was set free about a year ago in our son Theo's church and they were looking at, is that my dad? You know, and I was jumping up and down and screaming. I didn't even know I was doing it. My wife's looking at me. I don't know if she was giving me a dirty look or what. She's amazed. I love to dance. And, uh, but I also know, I also know that the sacrifice of praise is the outer court. And that you must, you must journey spiritually by the Holy Spirit's union with your spirit past the holy place where you offer up your incense of prayer into the holiest place, which is the Lord's bridal chamber. You see, we are the bride of Christ. He is our beloved groom. The things I speak to you are spirit, not sensual. They're not carnal. But there is a place of deeper, you see, even in God's creation of man and woman, he created you physically that you and I might know the deepest of intimacy. That's why it's so holy. That's why it's so sacred. But the natural precedes the spiritual. And as it is with Jesus, there is an ecstasy and a place of union with the Lord, which is the being with Him. How long? I don't know how long. It should be a way of life. And it must have the highest of priorities. That, that the reasons there are problems within the body of Christ, as I've seen, as I've, as I've traveled much and I've seen much, the reason th th those one common bond one unifying, excuse me, not bond, one unifying factor that is, you'll find it in all these situations of where there is rebellion, where there is strife, where there are schisms, where there's divorce. And that is, they have left their first true love. There is nothing more sacrosanct than Jesus. He, and where he is, so is his presence. And when you, when, when you lose your proximity to his heart, you now will begin losing your accountability to him. And then you'll begin losing your accountability to one another. And before you know it, there is disorder in the house. I will tell you this, wherever there is strife, wherever there is disloyalty, wherever there is dishonor to God's Davids, you will never find the presence of the Lord. You may have some false fire, but I tell you this, it's not Jesus. Maybe that, I don't know why I'm even, I, I had no idea what I'm going to talk about until I got up here. And I, and I, 
and I, I, I just don't want to get it wrong. You don't never know. I, roughly three and a half, four years ago, I was stopped at a stoplight, and um, light turned green, and I just start slowly going through the intersection. Somebody's on her cell phone texting. I later found out, coming at 40 miles an hour, without any brakes, hits me from the passenger side. I guess that sent me into a loop, into a, a, a turning, and the cars coming from the other direction and hit my other side. That pushed me further into an intersection and cars coming from the other way. And before you know it, I was hit by four separate cars. They had to cut me out. The car was total, total, total. And I stand here before you today. To Jesus be all the glory. And I want to say something to you. If I had a person up here that was blind and the Lord divinely heals them, this place would erupt. And I have a person over here who just couldn't put their shoes on because their toes were hurting them and Jesus healed them. It would just be okay. But let me just say this to you why I've seen God move so miraculously divinely is because I honor and I celebrate anything Jesus does. So I'm going to let you know again, I was in this car accident and the Lord divinely saved me. To Jesus. You've got to be able to celebrate everything Jesus does. And as a matter of fact, since we're on the subject, and maybe I'll get to where I'm supposed to be, I will say this to you. It took me a long time and much pain and suffering to apprehend what it is. And as a matter of fact, while we were in the car on the way over here, I had to repent to Stephen about something. We must discipline ourselves by surrendering to the Holy Spirit to see just the good in whomever it is we're directed to. And leave the character of the preacher or the evangelist and so on to God. Not to mention his name too much. Some of you do uh, enjoy Pastor Bill's uh, ministry. He's a great man of God. He's a father to my son, Michael, in the faith. They, they spend much time together. And I will tell you this, that Michael was interviewing him for the television station, and he said to him, you know, tell me about what's, what's, what's the problem? What, how have you endured seeing all these great generals fall? And he said, Michael, what I've learned to do is I have learned to celebrate that man or woman when they answered the call faithfully. Ponder it. And I don't focus on the other. Now, just bear with me. Can I teach? Okay. I don't know if I'll ever be here again. And uh, sometimes when you teach, <laughs> when you teach the scriptures, sometimes you're not invited back. But that's okay. Thank God I got my Skype in my room and all those guys. And I know I'm going to be invited back to the Greek conference again, so I can book that for next year. The Bible says, who says? The Bible says, that's Jesus. If you don't find Jesus in the scriptures, what are you reading it for? 
Jesus says, the word of God came to John in the wilderness. John abided in the seclusion of the wilderness, didn't he? But in that environment, in that place, free from the cares of this world and the voices of this world, he was able to further uh, abide in the secret place of the Most High. And God gave him a message, as was given by the prophets before, and was his calling to be for the one who was to come. And the message was a message of repentance. John preached repentance. The prophets before him preached repentance. John preached repentance. Jesus preached repentance. The apostles preached repentance. The saints for the centuries have preached repentance. Repentance is a beautiful grace of God. And everybody said, amen. amen. Listen to what Isaiah proclaimed long before John the Baptist. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Everybody say, make ready the way of the Lord. And then he goes on to proclaim, make his path straight and all flesh all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The Bible declares in the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity is not a work of your flesh. God is not of this world. Though he came in the flesh, his kingdom is not of this world. He is a divine, supernatural, holy God who is, very fiber is love. Love cries out, be healed. Love cries out, deliverance. Love cries out, salvation. And it's the same virtuous love of the Lord's heart that cries out, repent. Repent is a beautiful virtue of the Lord. And so I think it's, I, I, I need to comfort you by speaking to you with the love of the Father. God loves you. And God is holy. And God said, be ye holy because I'm holy. But he set the bar so high you can never attain it. There's not a man on the face of this earth that it contain the standard of the holiness of God. But to the one who is broken of heart, to the one who is contrite, to the one who will allow lordship of the Holy Spirit over their souls is the one who will know the true indwelling of God's love and power and manifestation through their lives. And his holiness becomes your holiness. key that unlocks that door is repentance. God has given us, he's given you that key. So the Bible tells us that the voice of God is being proclaimed by his prophets and that it's God's voice that is calling God's people today. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth the desert a highway for our God. 
The mouth of God has spoken for thousands of years. He speaks through your pastor. He speaks for those that, are, that, are, that God has, has, has set into the kingdom of God. He is speaking to you, to you today through my life. It is said, many of you may have read the story, that we have to look at ourselves as that individual, that person set in place by the Lord himself to proclaim the heart of the Lord that those in our sphere of influence shall not perish. Imagine that you, you are standing here, and this is a, 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 a part of this, this road, this track, and the chairs over there is where the track also continues on, and there has normally been a bridge here. But the bridge is down. And if you continue on that track, on that train, on that way of life, without a voice crying to you out of the desperate love of the Lord's heart, if you don't get off that train, if you stay on that train, surely you will fall into the death and the perish in that crevice. So we have a choice. People like myself can stand here before you and say, that's okay. Sin is still okay. God's grace took care of that 2,000 years ago. Don't worry about it. But as Stephen and I were talking, sin is still sin. And sin is still bad. And we sin. And that's why it is said that unless you live a life of repentance, you need to repent. It's not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing because that's the key to the highway. So our job is to get on that train and be very unpopular, facing never getting invited back again. And let me tell you something. I have been in churches, for example, in Brazil, where, I, where a, a woman came forward and she was totally blind. And she had no pupils. Her eyes were white. And she had one son who died in a gang, who was killed in a gang fight. And she had no one to take care of her, to, to take her to the store, but most importantly, to read the Bible. I found all this out later. But this woman, in a city of 20 plus million people in Sao Paulo, traveled and left with two bus tokens. One to get there and one to get back. And when she came, when she came, she gave that bus token to get her back home into the offering. And so they brought her forward If they could just please leave that door. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. When she came forward with two people helping her, the closer she got, the closer I saw her eyes were totally white. And I looked at this woman. I'd never prayed for a blind person before.
she's standing there and I'm on my knees and I'm scared to death because I don't know what to do nor do I know what God's going to do. And I said, Lord, please have mercy upon this woman. Look at her. And Jesus says, I want you to stand up. All this is happening in a matter of seconds. Stand up, anoint her eyes with oil. Not religiously, that's just what he told me to do. It's like Jesus took and spit in some mud. He told me, anoint her eyes with oil. And when she opens them, she'll see. So I felt like I was down there a thousand years. I mean, it was just a long time. And I stood up and, 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 and I took anointing oil. And I just said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I made the sign of the cross in her eyes. And that was that. I neglected something that's really important. Before I prayed for her, the Holy Spirit had me make a statement that laid me and my reputation on the line. And that was, he said, tell the people that when this woman opens her eyes, she's going to see. She still has no pupils. She's still totally blind. And I'm standing there saying what I just said. There are moments in every one of your lives that will be a defining moment that you're willing to take Isaac and put him on the altar, the one whom you love more than any life on earth, and willing to give him Isaac. And at that moment, in 1998, in Sao Paulo, Brazil, was, I was that Isaac. And I had to lay myself down upon that cross and fully trust in the love of Christ. I anointed her eyes, and I stood back, and I said, open your eyes. And she opened her eyes, and I saw her squinting. And I'm thinking to myself, why is a blind person squinting from the light? And then she, her eyes start opening, and I look, and I can see eyeballs. I can see, I can see eyes. And I fell to my knees, and I began to weep. Just the memory of that overtakes me right now. And she said, I can see, I can see. And I asked her, why did you want to see? She said, because my son was the only one who would read the Bible to me. And now that he's dead, I have no one to read the word to me. And all I asked God was that I could see so I may read his word. And she received her eyesight to God be the glory. <laughs> Suddenly, five other blind people come over here to the right. I'm over here. The power to heal is present. And all five of these people, as I stood here and looked at them and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. And all five of them got their eyesight. This launched me into a dimension of love and trust. Listen, there, it's easy to read these scriptures and say, those who believe. But do you understand what the word believe means? Pistevo. What pistevo means in the Greek is a total trust, a total reliance placing all my faith and trust upon that one of whom I believe upon. 
So there are many. Listen, the devils believe that Jesus is the Christ. So to believe according to the American understanding, we're missing it. God has come in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. I could stay here for hours with you and teach you, and I know the time is running short. But I just want to say this to you. I, 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 need, to, I need to share that, that there's only one way to salvation. His name is Jesus. He is salvation. And the way to the Lord's heart has not changed. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority that we call the New Testament, encountered God. I believe the reason why so many are falling away today in the church, that, that age group of 18 to, to the early 20s, that 80 or 90% of them literally turn their back against the Lord after a year. And it's not just here in America. I've seen it in many countries. It's because they've never encountered God. They encountered an altar call or a prayer. And no altar call died for you. No prayer died for you. No preacher died for you. If you have not truly encountered God, listen closely. I was stricken with a rare disease called Mycobacteria marinum. Are there any doctors in the house? Anybody that's a physician? Or, okay. Mycobacteria marinum. Mycobacteria marinum is a result of a bacteria that's found in the ocean on seashells and coral. It's very rare. As a matter of fact, when I got sick with this, I came up to Rochester here to the Mayo Clinic. This is back in 1984 and uh, 82 at that time. And there had only been 16 cases of it in the history of the Mayo Clinic that they, could, that they were able to diagnose. So I have this disease, and it's a blood disease that's treated like tuberculosis. For four years, they had me on tetracycline, uh, 2,000 milligrams of tetracycline, oh, excuse me, what is it, 500 milligram tablets? 500 milligrams of tetracycline a day for four years. You talk about tearing up your gut. Four surgeries, removing tissue after tissue after tissue here on my left knee. My legs became so atrophied, I had no muscle tone, and they became so skinny. And I was in a wheelchair or crutches for those four years. My sons recall this often as they minister. And so... I had just had a fourth surgery, and my knee was still held together with staples. And there was a drainage tube out of my knee. But I had pants on, and you couldn't tell that that was the case. So a, a cousin of ours had passed away, and they were having a memorial service for him. So we went to our cousin's home, and we were sitting on the couch. Theo was not born yet. Michael was a little boy. I take that back. He was like two or three years old. Michael was like five or six or what have you. And he was right there on, on my side, just sitting on the floor. And we're just sitting there talking the way you normally talk when you're in those kind of, you know, 
occasions. And suddenly the door opens, and a man walks in, Father Anthony Morphesis, a Greek Orthodox priest who now is at home with Jesus. Listen carefully. A Greek Orthodox priest who had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and God had bestowed upon him the gifts of healing. And so as I'm sitting there, he walks in. I've never seen him. He's never seen me. I've never talked to him. He knows nothing about me. I know nothing about him. And he's sitting on the chair. I'm sitting on the couch, about the distance between Stephen and I. And he looks at me and says, Sir, have you ever seen Jesus? God's asking you that question tonight, today. Have you ever seen Jesus? And he looked at me and said that, and I could see these piercing eyes. And I said, no. He said, why not? And I said, I don't know. And then he said, do you want to? Do you want to see Jesus? And I said, yes. That's what the Lord's looking for. Do you want to see me? Me. Not for what I can give you. Not for what I can do for you. Not because I can save you. Not because I can heal. Do you want to see me? And I said, yes. And he walks up to me. Gets off the chair. I'm sitting there. I have no idea what's going to be ready to take place. And he takes his hand and grabs my knee with staples in it. You could go like this and I would scream. The pain that shot through my body, I can't describe. Then suddenly, that instantly, that was gone. And I felt this rushing fire through my body. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, and he's squeezing it. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then he goes and sits back down. And he says, get up and walk to me. I really turn around. I'm ready to grab my crutches from behind the couch. He said, no, I said, you walk to me. And so I began to walk. And as I took two or three steps, it was just from here to where those chairs are at, this, this, this overwhelming love that I had not known of God overcame my life. And he said, why are you weeping? And I said, because I've seen Jesus. I've seen Jesus in my heart. I've seen him. He's man. Listen, the Bible says where two or three or more of us are gathered together in his name, he is there even in the midst of us. He's not in the back room. He's not in the control room. He's not in the sound room. He's right there next to you. He's more real than the person sitting next to you. Jesus is next to you. The next day I go to the doctor in order to plan a year-long aqua therapy treatment. And they measure my good leg to test the strength of that quadricep. And it's what it is, normal. And then they test the leg that was atrophied. And when he tests it, the nurse tested it. She left and didn't say a word, and she went back in and got the doctor. And they did it again. And the doctor said, What's, what, what have you been doing? 
I said, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, your knee is stronger than the other, the bad knee. I told the doctor, if I were to tell you, you wouldn't believe me. I was not saved. I'm going to blow your theology now. Never read the word, had not gone down Romans Road of Salvation. I hadn't done any of those kind of things. Because Saul of Tarsus was on the way to kill the Christians. And Jesus from heaven, the ascended Jesus. You know, he, was, he had a trump on the other apostles because he was the one to see the ascended Christ. The king of glory. And the light of Christ shined upon him. And what happened to Saul? The illuminating love of God shines upon him, blinds him, throws him to the ground. And what are the words that come out of his mouth? Kyrios. Lord. Lord, what will you have me do? Not Savior, nothing wrong with that. Not Deliverer, nothing wrong with that. Who gave him the revelation that this God was Lord? God did. You see, first, our hearts must be illuminated. And the hopelessness of our lives must be brought to light. It's not the work of any man or any eloquence of any preacher. It's the work of the light, Christ himself. And the light shines upon our sin-ridden hearts. And we cry out, Lord, have mercy upon me. I need you. I'm desperate for you. I have no hope. You are my only hope, Lord. That illumination now has drawn you to conviction. And that conviction now draws your heart by the Holy Spirit. This flame of love, the Holy Spirit, ignites your heart. Sets your heart ablaze. And Lord, I begin to confess, God, I'm a sinner. I've sinned before you, Father. I've sinned before those in my life. Father, I'm a sinner. I confess. And the love, the flame of love has illuminated to sin, has brought conviction, has brought forth this confession of love and faith, and has led you to repentance. How beautiful is repentance. It's the key to Jesus' heart. Just close your eyes. And everybody just begin to say the name Jesus. Just keep saying his name. One look of your eyes now, one glance of your eyes is ravishing the heart of the Lord. Jesus. 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 Do you know, honey, can you just do me a simple song if I sing praises? Can you do that for me? I want all of you now just to enter in as we close and begin to just love on the Lord. Don't worry about the person to your right or to your left. Just love on him. 
God inhabits your love. He inhabits your adoration. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, there's no one like you, my God. I love you, Father. I love you, Jesus. Come on, tell him. Just tell Listen, what good is it to be saved if you can't love on the way? His love is drawing you to his love. Bridal love awaits you. He wants you to come from that outer court into the depths of his bridal chamber. I love you, Jesus. Jesus. There's no one like you, Lord. There's no one.